microphone and, uh, and, your, and your camera and as we go on for our live stream. Just like to welcome everyone who's joining us by uh, uh, our live stream right now uh, on YouTube. Uh, this is one part of our service here, uh, City Temple and Chelsea Community Church. If you'd like to be part of the whole thing via Zoom, just drop us an email, or you can come and join us here in Chelsea at Chelsea Community Church in Edith, on Edith Grove uh, on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. Now, if you have your Bible, let's turn to two places. First of all, to Matthew chapter 5 and then to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In both places we'll read five verses. Before we read together, let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for the Bible. I thank you that it is your word to us and trustworthy and true. And I pray, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit that you'd speak your word into our hearts today. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me that I can bring your word to your people today, boldly and faithfully, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We pick up in Matthew chapter 5, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is what Jesus has to say. You have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser, while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And then over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We start with verse 16. Paul's writing here and says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May God bless to us his reading from his holy word. 
Well, during the American Revolution, I know it's a, a sore subject for many people from the UK, but during the American Revolution, uh, there was this old preacher named Peter Miller who happened to be friends with George Washington. And in Peter Miller's town, uh, there was a guy named Mr. Whitman who was just a constant pain in his side, thorn in his side. I mean, Mr. Whitman was just like an enemy to the gospel, an enemy to the church, uh, and just one of those people that you just don't really like to be around at all. And boy, he gave Peter Miller some trouble. And later on, it was discovered that Mr. Whitman actually was kind of double dealing a bit. And so he had charges brought against him and he was brought up and convicted on the charge of treason and was due to be hanged. And so uh, Peter Miller set out and he walked 75 miles to where George Washington was. And he came up to George Washington and said, I understand that Mr. Whitman is going to be executed. And Washington said, yes, of course, that's right. He said, well, I would like to plead for his life. I would like to ask you to spare his life. And Washington shook his head and said, no, no, I, I'm sorry. I, I cannot, even though you are my friend, I cannot respond to you on behalf of your friend. He's done something very wrong, very evil. And, and uh, uh, old, uh, old Peter Miller, he said, <laughs> that, he's not my friend. He's my worst enemy. Uh, he's, this guy's caused me all kinds of problems and issues. And Washington said, ah, well, that changes everything. I won't spare him because he's your friend, but I will spare his life because of what you've done. It's an amazing story, and it's a, a true story. Uh, I embellish it in various ways each time. Uh, but it's amazing what can happen when we as Christians take a stand, reach out, and act in ways to bridge the gap between us and our enemies, to bring about what the Bible talks about as reconciliation. And if you think about what is happening in our world right now, you begin to see how important, how essential reconciliation actually is. I mean, think about some of the major issues in our world today, right now. Why was it that Putin said that he invaded the Ukraine? Was it not because he felt like there was a growing uh, division, an alienation, an estrangement between Ukraine and Russia that he began to fear? And so he went in to invade the society. Think about the racial tensions right now that are tearing apart our society and many societies in the West, in the United States as well. And these racial tensions seem to be increasing rather than decreasing because there's a lack of reconciliation. Or thinking, think about what's happening politically in the United Kingdom, the Scottish National Party, the SNP, trying to tear apart the United Kingdom to make it disunited because they say there can be no reconciliation between the desires of Scotland and the desires of England 
and they've even fostered a hatred for the English there in Scotland. Or think about the political animosity that is happening. You know, the local elections that we just had and the celebration. And you know that those councils that have changed hands, the, the new party in power is going to do everything it can not to work with the other party, but to have their own way and not promote reconciliation. What has happened over, over some time now, but certainly the last 20, 25 years here in the United Kingdom, we've seen uh, an increase in alienation and estrangement. We've seen an increase in division and antagonism so that it's become like a foundation of our society today. And it's going to tear our nation apart. And this alienation and estrangement has not been healed by social media, but it's been intensified by social media. Now, for the first time, you don't have to be around people who are different than you, who have a different idea, who have a different understanding. You can just avoid them altogether. You don't have to listen to their ideas. You just find somebody else that can pop off about those ideas. And it just increases, it exacerbates this alienation and estrangement that's ripping apart our society. And if we allow the alienation and estrangement to continue, they will eat away at our lives and they will eat away at our society like a cancer. And all this time that the alienation, the estrangement is increasing, groups like the Church of Jesus Christ have been, that historically have sought to foster genuine reconciliation, these groups are declining and diminishing. And the groups that are getting the money, the groups that are getting the attention, are the groups that are increasing the alienation and the estrangement. Pardon me. So we need reconciliation as never before. And thank God that God has called and equipped us, his church, to help resolve these kinds of issues in our world. God has called and equipped us as the church to help overcome alienation and estrangement. God has called us and gifted us with an understanding of forgiveness and reconciliation that can bring about healing in our society if people will only receive it. But the first people who need to receive it, the first people who need to understand it, the first people who need to embrace it are the Christians. It's the church. And so often we ourselves don't understand what forgiveness and reconciliation is all about. So often the church has increased alienation and estrangement rather than decreased it. And so we need to know and learn about these things and become the agent of reconciliation that God has called us to be as part of his kingdom. We need to get ready to get ready for what God is going to be doing because God is going to be moving 
in some powerful ways in our world in the coming months and years. At the same time, we need to be ready to get ready for the increase in alienation and estrangement because let me tell you, it will get worse before it gets better. But we, as God's people, can overcome. So how do we do it? The first thing is we need to get reconciliation and forgiveness. Because a lot of times, even as Christians, we don't get it. We don't understand it. And so we need to understand it and embrace it. And reconciliation and forgiveness are two different but highly related ideas in the Bible. Let's start with forgiveness because the focus is going to be on reconciliation. Now, forgiveness is simply releasing that which has been done to you or which you perceive has been done to you, the pain it's caused, the other negative emotions, and the other consequences, releasing all of that to God. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily involve the other person. In other words, you don't have to go uh, to, I don't have to go to Olashina and convince Olashina that he's done something wrong in order to forgive him. In fact, Olashina might not have done something wrong. You know, maybe he's, you know, we've got a good uh, man-to-man friendship. It's very, so, so he could come up to me and say, oh, Rod, you're looking a little fat today, aren't you? You know, and just be kidding. And, and maybe I'm really tired and it really hurts me deeply. Oh, he called me fat. I thought he liked the way I looked. And, and you know, he's one to talk. Uh, you know, yeah, there's all, you know, you could do that, but I don't have to do any of that. I can just say, oh, wait, there's pain. Oh, that hurt, so I need to forgive it. And so what do I do? Lord, I choose to release Olashina calling me fat. I choose to forgive that, and, uh, and I release any pain and, and upset with Olashina. I just give that all to you, Lord. Heal my damaged emotions. I bless him because he's my friend. Or he might be my enemy, but I'm going to bless him anyway. But in this case, he's my friend. The issue with forgiveness is what has caused us pain. Not whether what was done or said was right or wrong. The issue of forgiveness is also not necessarily what the person did or said. Because sometimes we can perceive that they've done or said something that they never intended to do or say. But it caused us pain. And in that case, it's our own fault, but we can still forgive it. We just release it to God. doesn't have anything to do necessarily with what is morally right or wrong. You don't have to judge. You just need to feel the pain and release it to God. And forgiveness is between us and God. It's not primarily between us and the other person. And so we just say, Lord, I choose to forgive this person for what they did, which made me feel this way. Heal me and bless them. That's it. Lord, I choose to forgive this person for what they did, what they said, which made me feel this way. Heal me, bless them. Very simple prayer. Now understand the responsibility to forgive rests with the person who experienced the pain. So in that illustration with me and Olashina, 
And by the way, I only use that because Ola Sheena and I have such a great relationship. But in that illustration between me and, me and Ola Sheena, it's my job to, res- to forgive him. He doesn't have to come to me and say, Rod, I'm sorry. He may not be sorry. And it doesn't matter if he's sorry because the Bible tells me to forgive anytime I've been hurt. Forgive anytime that someone causes me pain. And how many times do I need to forgive? Jesus says in another parable, seven times, 70 times. You forgive, you forgive, you forgive, and you keep on forgiving. And any person has the power to forgive at any time. You don't say, Lord, please help me forgive this person. Now, you might say, Lord, please help me not to kill this person. But you don't need help to forgive because God has given you the ability to forgive, especially if you're a Christian, but even if you're not a Christian. That's the amazing thing. So forgiveness is always a choice. It's always an act of your will, but it always will hurt. You know, it always involves a bit of pain, and that's okay. But forgiveness is a gift of grace. It's God's gift to us out of God's grace, and it's an act of grace that we give to other people. Forgiveness is a gift of grace, and we're called to give that gift all the time and release everything that's been done to us that's hurt us Release it to God. Release it to God. Now, reconciliation is different. And the rest of the time, we're going to focus primarily on reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoration of a relationship that's been wounded or broken in some way. It's restoration of a relationship between two people or two persons or even two groups of people but it's the restoration of relationship. By the way, forgiveness, can a group of people can forgive another group of people. But I'm talking primarily about individuals, but it can happen from group to group as well, just so you understand. But it's the restoration of relationship. It brings back relational shalom, relational peace, relational favor and goodwill, restores that relationship. The responsibility to seek reconciliation, though, rests with the person who has caused the breakdown, who has acted in such a way as to harm the relationship or cause problems in the relationship. The reconciliation rests with the person maybe who has done wrong, maybe with the person who was rude, or whatever it was that they have done. It's your responsibility to seek reconciliation. If someone has something against you, you seek reconciliation. Now understand, even though it's the responsibility of the person who has done the wounding to seek reconciliation, the offer of reconciliation can be extended by grace, just like forgiveness is a gift of grace. So it might be that maybe again in Olashina and I, you were going along and maybe he doesn't even realize that he's wounded me. And maybe he doesn't even realize that there's been a breakdown in our relationship. 
then I can go to him because I value him and say, hey, Olashina, can, can we have a talk? And I can say, you know, when you did this, I felt this way. Not, I don't say to him, Olashina, you did this. You're such a bad guy. You're terrible. How can you think you're a Christian? You do that, you're not going to have reconciliation. You just go and say, hey, I'm opening myself up to you. And I hurt. And I, but I value our relationship. Now, Olashina, he can say, well, I don't care. I don't value you. And that's okay. Then I need what I need to do. I need to forgive, right? But many times he'll say, oh, man, Rod, I had no idea. My intention was not to hurt you. I was just joking around. I'm really sorry. Let's be reconciled. You might not even use the language, but then we say, okay, let's go on. Because you know what? The relationship I have is more important to me than any kind of pain that I'm going to feel. Because there's no relationship without pain. But the problem is with reconciliation, it always requires at least two persons or group. The one seeking it and the one forgiving to enable reconciliation. And by the way, reconciliation is not possible unless you forgive. You will never have reconciliation with a person that you have not chosen to forgive. And you've not chosen to forgive them in advance. And understand, reconciliation is not always possible. I might remember tomorrow something that my dad said to me back 30 years ago, but I can't go to my dad and say, hey, dad, you know, when you said that, it really hurt me, and our relationship is broken. In fact, I, I hate to tell you, that my relationship with my father has completely broken down. My relationship with my father has been broken for about, oh, 17 years now. And it's totally irreparable right now because he's dead. But I can still forgive my father. I'll have a relationship with him again when we're in heaven together because I know I'm going to see him. But you, you get the meaning. It's not always possible. But understand, reconciliation is a gift of grace as well. It's all about grace. If you take the attitude, well, I'll be reconciled with you when you do this to me or for me, you'll never have genuine reconciliation. All you'll have is somebody trying to buy favor. And so we need that reconciliation. And forgiveness and reconciliation are absolutely essential right now. They're absolutely essential because of our sins, for which we are fully responsible. There's no sense of, oh, it's my dad made me do it, or my mom, or my friend. Uh, if I sin, it's my, it's my responsibility, intentional or unintentional, and because of our sins, we damage and destroy our relationships, both with God and with other people. We need forgiveness and reconciliation as well, because when people cause us pain, or we cause them pain, there is a spiritual chain that is established that binds us to them in unhealthy ways, until we forgive, until we reconcile, until we release that. There's bondage that happens there. And quite frankly, we need to have forgiveness and reconciliation because if you're going to receive the blessings of God in your life, 
you must be walking in forgiveness and reconciliation on a day-by-day basis. Life is too short, life is too precious for us to avoid it. We need to make it so that at the instant you feel pain because of what someone's done, you say, Lord, I choose to forgive that. I release it right now to you, this person, for what they did, what they said, which made me feel this way. And you know, you can do that just as quickly as I just did it. You don't have to wait till tomorrow and you're down in your prayer room saying, oh God, please help me to forgive because God doesn't answer that prayer. Because he says, listen, I've already told you how to do it. I've given you my spirit. You've got everything you need. Just do it. Just obey me and I'll bless you. And so you do it and you walk in it. And, you know, and if you feel like that there's broken somehow. I mean, Karen and I had uh, a, a discussion. It wasn't even really a disagreement on the way to church today. And she just came up to me right before the service and said, Rod, I just want to make sure we're okay, we're reconciled. Said, yeah, you know, it wasn't, we're both tired. It's just, it's a non-issue. But we didn't want to leave it there. I was at a conference this past week and I had a vigorous discussion about a theological point with a friend of mine. And the next day he came up and it was fun. I mean, we were having a good time. Uh, and the next day he came up and said, are, are we okay? And I said, well, of course we are. You know, I didn't say to him, of course we are, because I don't mind if people are wrong around me. Uh, I, you know, well, I didn't say that. You know, I just accepted, because he wanted to make sure that we were walking in reconciliation. And that's what it needs to be. That's what, how it needs to happen. So how can that happen? How do we get reconciliation and, and forgiveness and walk in it? First and foremost, we got to get reconciled to God. You've got to get reconciled to God. All effective forgiveness and reconciliation in the world are made possible by God's grace in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter if they're Christians or not. You know, in Islam, there's no idea of forgiveness. There's an idea of mercy, but there's not an idea of forgiveness. Doesn't make sense. So if you see a Muslim forgiving somebody else, that's God. Even if they're not a Christian, that's empowered by the grace of God operating in this world. All forgiveness, all reconciliation are empowered by God's grace-filled actions in Jesus Christ. And that's the only way that we can be reconciled to God is through Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing, out of God's grace, although God is the one who has been offended here, God is the one who's been wounded by our sins. God has never done anything wrong. God is always right. God always walks in holiness. He always walks in purity. And although he's not done anything wrong, God is the one who extends the offer of reconciliation through Jesus Christ. God provided the way in Jesus Christ through his death on the cross. Jesus, who's both fully human and fully God, accomplished this reconciliation between God and us when he died on the cross. It's all about God. It's all about what God is doing. And God, in his grace and mercy, this is an amazing thing that we don't often count here or don't often catch here, 
in this passage in 2 Corinthians that we read. God, in his grace and mercy, chooses not to actively count our sins against us. When Paul says here that God's not counting our sins against us, what Paul means is that God is not there looking down saying, okay, there's another sin, there's another sin, okay, two more, and I'm going to strike them dead. There's another sin, oh, good. All right, avenging angel, get ready. It's time to... That's not what happens. God enables reconciliation to occur because God says, listen, I'm not going to keep a track of this. I'm offering you the reconciliation. I'm offering you forgiveness in my son. Receive it by grace through faith, which I'm going to give you. Just receive it. Receive it and respond to it. And God has reconciled us to himself, and God is reconciling the world to himself by grace through faith in Jesus, if we will receive it individually and corporately. And when he does, God restores our relationship of shalom and favor with himself. That's what it's all about. He restores the relationship that Adam and Eve had before they sinned. He enfolds us into the same relationship that God the Father has with God the Son in the power of God the Holy Spirit. It's extraordinary what God does. But of course, our human action is a necessary response to the action of God in reconciliation. It's not that we act and it happens. It's God has acted, God has offered, and he invites us to respond by surrendering our lives to Jesus Christ. God empowers this action. He empowers us to repent. He invites us into reconciliation with himself by telling us, forgive whatever debts you have against others. That's essential for our reconciliation with God because God won't walk in reconciliation with us unless we're forgiving others. It's what Jesus says later in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And by the way, the word debt is better than the word trespasses because remember, it's not just what is sinful, it's what causes you pain, what you think other people, uh, you have against other people. Just release it. And then we can remain reconciled with God by responding immediately whenever we break relationships. So he's reconciled us to himself in Jesus Christ. He empowers us to forgive. He empowers us to repent. And as soon as we do something that's stupid, and I don't know about you, I can't speak about you women, but I can speak about us men, we consistently do stupid things that offend God. How come we don't say a women? But that's another story. Uh, that's so... So we do that. So immediately when you do it, what do you do? God, I'm sorry. Ah, I'm, I messed up again. And I, I confess this was sin, and I turn away from it. That's repenting. And you can remain reconciled with God, and then you seek reconciliation with others by God's grace. So we have to get reconciled with God 
if we are going to be agents of reconciliation in the world. If we want to make a difference, if we want to be people that God might use to change the world in ways that we don't often discern, we have to get reconciled with God and stay reconciled with God. Walk in that. But then also, we have to get reconciled with others. You know, it's really easy to get reconciled with God. It's not quite as easy to get reconciled with somebody else. But we have to get reconciled with others. I mean, there are many ways that we harm our relationships. Many ways. Now, Jesus just talks about three that he compares to murder. He says, you know, you've heard, don't commit murder. And that's true. It's, it's not a good thing to murder people. But he says, listen, if you are angry with somebody in an ongoing and sustained way, that's what he means, you've just murdered them. If you're insulting somebody, you've murdered them. If you said, oh, you fool, it's like you've murdered them. These actions that happen, notice, in our hearts, in our minds, most of the time. Oh, you stupid person hurt me again. You know, those kinds of things, Jesus says that's murder. And you know what? If you have that thought or that idea about another person, especially about another brother in Christ or a sister in Christ, you know what? You're breaking relationship. And you need to repent, but also you might need to repair that relationship. Seek reconciliation. And Jesus, in this, in what he says in the Sermon on the Mount, he is connecting reconciliation with people to our relationship with God. He says, hey, if you're going and you're coming to the altar now, and then you realize, oh man, my brother or my sister has something against me. He says, leave your gift at the altar and go first, be reconciled. First be reconciled, and then you can come offer your gift. Jesus is saying that if you're walking in unreconciliation and you know it, and you suspect that you've done something that's been injurious to another person and broken relationship, you should be going to seek reconciliation. Because unless you do, you will not have the relationship with God that you desire, that you want to have. So remember, the person who has harmed or broken the relationship is the one who has to take the initiative here. Jesus is clear. Jesus is clear. Now, how do you know? How do you know? I guarantee you, I'll give you three things, ways. Your conscience will tell you. Your conscience will tell you. The other person might tell you by accusing you or saying something to you. Or the Holy Spirit will let you know if you need to seek reconciliation. Now remember, God provides the way. He's provided the way through the death of Jesus Christ. So Jesus has paid the price for whatever anybody has done to hurt you. Jesus has paid it already. So reconciliation can be there. Forgiveness is required. It's not an option. So if you've been wounded, you have to forgive. And refusing to seek reconciliation, understand there are consequences, according to Jesus. 
Jesus is saying here, you've got to come to terms with your accuser. Otherwise, if you refuse to seek reconciliation, it puts you in an increasing prison. You become bound to your accuser, and then there's a court, the court of heaven, then there's the judge, and then there's a guard, and then there's ongoing imprisonment. And if I had more time, I could explain every step along that way, and, but it's not good. Just understand that. You don't want it. You don't want it, but it will happen if you're not seeking reconciliation. Now remember, the basic process of reconciliation for individuals or for groups, forgive the other person, whatever you think they've done, discern or discover what the other person has against you, if the Holy Spirit's prodding you there. Take the initiative and go to the person, but don't blindside them. Do it in a, in a good, uh, respectful manner. You know, the best time, if you want to seek reconciliation with me, is not five minutes after the service is over. For example, for example. So take the initiative and go. Express genuine remorse for your words, your actions, or your attitudes. And frankly, that's a big one because it's very good. You know, you've, we've all heard the non-apologies. I'm sorry if you feel like I've done something wrong. Well, that's no apology. That's an excuse. It's like saying, well, if you're dumb enough to think that I hurt you when I didn't really hurt you, then I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry you're so dumb. No, it's not right. So you got to show genuine remorse. There has to be a genuine concern that, hey, I might have hurt you. I might not have intended to hurt you, but I might have hurt you, and I'm, I didn't want to hurt you. I am sorry for hurting you. And then come to terms quickly and bless the other with shalom. And that process, it, it sounds complicated. It's not. And it can happen uh, over the course of two minutes or three minutes. And in fact, if we're walking as Christians, individually and corporately, in reconciliation, then it will never take long to accomplish it. Because our hearts are soft. My heart stays soft to anybody who's hurt me or wounded me. You know, I don't want to have broken relationships. And I'm forgiving instantly, all the time. And that's how we walk in reconciliation as well. So when we get reconciled with God, and we get reconciled with one another, excuse me, then we can get on with the ministry of reconciliation in our world. And remember, the gospel of Jesus is the basis of all genuine reconciliation in this world. Just think what comes to the gospel. God's grace, undeserved kindness, undeserved favor. The rest of the world says, no, you need to deserve my favor. You need to do something to earn it. Otherwise, I won't give it to you. Or if I give you favor, you have to give me favor. And grace just is given. Forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't make sense in the world from a worldly mindset. Laying down your life because forgiveness and reconciliation requires that we take up our cross daily and following Jesus. Laying down our life as Jesus laid down his life. 
bringing together the strangers. Who could have been more estranged from one another than God and humanity? And yet Jesus crossed that barrier and he brought us and he connected us to God yet again. He reconciled us to God by grace through faith. And God is calling us to bring together people who are different. It's one of the things I love about our church. You know, it's the the differences we have and how God is bringing us together and uniting our hearts and our minds. And that's a work of reconciliation. Seeing relational wholeness and relational shalom in our world, that comes from God because God tells us what it's all about. And because the gospel of Jesus is the basis of all of this, we become ambassadors of God's kingdom, acting on behalf of Jesus to promote reconciliation. And we promote reconciliation first with God and then with one another. And we can promote reconciliation only as we're living it out, walking it out. That means that we must continually seek reconciliation because unreconciled people have no real ministry of reconciliation. You can't offer the world what we're not living in and walking in ourselves. That's one of the reasons why it is so difficult to bring about racial reconciliation. Because so often we've got so much brokenness in churches and amongst churches that we can't do what we do here at City Temple and bring us all together irrespective of where we were born and irrespective of the shade of our skin. So we have to walk in it. We must challenge the world as well. In this ministry of reconciliation, we must challenge the world that we cannot keep actively counting people's sins against them. Let me tell you this. Once that war over is over, if Ukrainians continually count what Putin has done against all Russians, there will be no reconciliation of those two nations. I know a number of people who lived through World War II who told me that for years they hated Germans. They absolutely hated them. And they couldn't talk to a German person because of what the Nazis had done and what the war had done. Because there was no forgiveness and no release and no understanding that the people who did that are not the people who are here today. So we have to challenge the world and say, we got to stop this. Stop keeping count of what other people have done. Stop keeping count of all the wrongs. Stop keeping count of all the slights and all the offenses and all the things that we think people have done. And start extending grace. And only a grace-filled church and grace-filled people who know the grace of God in Jesus Christ can really challenge the world in this. And we have to understand as we're doing this, this ministry of reconciliation, that there is a cosmic dimension to it. God is reconciling not only people, but the whole world to himself in Jesus Christ. And we are agents of that global reconciliation. And every time we pray for peace in Ukraine, every time we pray for peace in Russia, every time we pray for the end of war, every time we work to see people come together. Every time we do this, we are 
participating in God's cosmic act of reconciliation of the world to himself in Jesus Christ. And that is our call and that is who we are. We need to get ready for what's coming. But to get ready for what's coming, we must walk in reconciliation. One of the greatest moments in the conference that I was at this past week in Albania, we saw a lot of friends and had a lot of great conversations, but there was a moment when we were praying for a couple pastors that I know that have been at City Temple actually before, uh, and we were praying for them. They're now planting a church in Warsaw and ministering to Ukrainian refugees. And we were praying for them. We were praying for Ukraine. And this other young Christian man who was there, he was from Russia. And he got up and he said, you know, I just want to publicly before everybody just say how sorry I am and how I repent on behalf of the Russian people for what's happening right now and what's going on. Now we know that he had no natural standing with Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin is not going to call the guy up this week and say, hey, good job there, my friend. He doesn't even know who this guy is. But we do know that they had spiritual standing in God's kingdom. And what they were doing in that moment was reconciliation, participating in it, being a part of what God is doing in our world. And the question is, you know, are we willing, like Peter Miller in the opening illustration, to walk 75 miles just to see reconciliation? That's God's call for us. And a reconciled church, living in reconciliation with God and with one another, will serve as a powerful force for God's kingdom advancing God's ministry of reconciliation in our world right now, which is what our world needs. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you, we honor you, we worship you, and we thank you for the ministry of reconciliation. Lord, empower us as your people to walk in forgiveness and reconciliation. Father, right now, Put into our minds the names of everyone we need to forgive. Father, help us to remember these names. And then show us what we need to forgive so that we can do it. And Father, right now, put into our minds anyone with whom we need to seek reconciliation. Show us who they are and help us to remember to do it this week. Let us be a people who embody the ministry of reconciliation in this earth until the day when we experience the fullness of reconciliation with you in face-to-face -face relationship through Jesus Christ.
We love you and praise you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.